0: Welcome to Live Talk, a weekly radio talk style show exclusively produced by Pituitary Whirlings.
1: Hi everyone, this is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News podcasting to you today from Northern California. It's a crisp autumn morning. The sun is shining and the sky is blue. Uh, I needed a jacket this morning actually when I went outside. It's always an interesting time of the year. Absolutely love it. So I wanted to talk with you today a little about Patients who have what used to be referred to as double adenomas, but I like to think of as multiple pituitary adenomas. It's said in the literature that about 2% of patients with pituitary adenomas will have more than one type of tumor. In my experience of 33, 34 years, it's probably on the order of 1% or less. So it's uncommon, but when you see a lot of patients, as we do at the University of California San Francisco, you're going to see these things. And uh, saw a patient recently, so we'll talk about that a little later. I also want to review some of the other patients that I've seen in the past and some of the curious things that can coexist in the field of pituitary medicine. But before we get to that, let's talk about pituitary tumors in general. As you know, these are neoplasms, usually benign. About 0.5% of them will ultimately become malignant at some point in the future, but they usually start out as benign lesions or at least what we refer to as benign even though some of them can be invasive. My eyes are always open to look at those more carefully. But they derive from a pituitary cell uh, and this is an adenoma cell. It's a cell that's designed to make hormones and as you recall the pituitary gland is composed of lots of different cell types that make one or more hormones. We used to think of one cell one hormone but we do know that some more primitive cells can produce two hormones for example. And, of course, gonadotrose can produce two hormones as well as an alpha subunit. But at any rate, a tumor derives from the cell. There's something wrong with that cell. Maybe it acquires a mutation or has an inborn mutation that that basically is something you're born with, and it it starts to divide. And ultimately, after a series of divisions, becomes a recognizable lesion uh, that we refer to as a tumor. some of the things that can cause this to happen are inborn genetic defects like multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1, AIP gene mutations, McCoon-Albright syndrome, neurofibromatosis, uh, and there are probably other syndromes as well. Those are the ones that come to mind based on recent patients I've seen. But in this setting, you have a mutation that actually leads to an abnormal cell or a cell that has a tendency to form a to divide and form a tumor, there's there, for example, are other genes that regulate the cell cycle. When they're disrupted, you can actually have a situation where you develop a tumor as well. But at any rate, uh, most tumors seem to not be related to a germline or inborn mutation, uh, as some call it. Uh, they tend to come from. A, an acquired mutation, if you will. Something happens to a normal cell that makes it lose its ability to regulate its growth, and then it ultimately becomes a tumor. I, I referenced cancer earlier. We don't really fully understand all the mechanisms, although there are several that we do recognize, that lead a cell to transform into a malignant cell. Uh, it's a, it's a subject of... Uh, Uh, interest in in this day and age, and uh, we're looking at some of that ourselves at uh, UCSF and and, uh, the way we look at the literature, trying to think of different ways to follow people long-term who might be at higher risk for that transition. So we know that some of these tumor cells are very benign and almost just like the original pituitary cell, while others are more primitive in the developmental scheme you've heard of stem cells before the pituitary gland has stem cells and they probably ultimately differentiate along several different lines to uh, ultimately form the end result of the pituitary cell. so you can have a a tumor of one of these cells that's earlier in that developmental phase that can also form a tumor and it can also make hormones an example is an acidophil stem cell which is a tumor that can produce prolactin and growth hormone tends to produce more prolactin than growth hormone. The acromegaly is usually mild, if detected at all. Sometimes you don't know it until you see the tumor under the microscope. And then there's a, t- a tumor cell called the mammosomatotroph cell, which is a tumor cell that can produce growth hormone and prolactin. And then further down the differentiation pathway, you have a tumor that's a prolactinoma or a tumor that's a growth hormone-secreting tumor. So, those are the, the growth hormone system, there sort of illustrates the difference from the stem cell to the combined tumor to the end result tumor, depending on the differentiation. Now, I think that people who have more than one pituitary tumor, this 1% or so of my practice, uh, are, to, are patients who, who may have a germline mutation that predisposes them to pituitary adenomas. They may also have some other uh, situation where uh, something has gone wrong, a multitude of pituitary cells at the same time, and lead, lends the opportunity to uh, present uh, as more than one tumor, rather than a mixed tumor, say like the adenoma, which is one tumor that produces both hormones. So I was referred to a patient recently who had... Um, been evaluated by her primary physician, and she had um, basically Cushing syndrome that was ACTH-dependent and thought related to a pituitary tumor. All that was true. We reviewed the results of the workup, and the physician had expertly evaluated that patient and proved what I like to refer to as pathologic hypercortisolism that was ACTH-dependent that there was said to be a tumor uh, on the MRI as well. However, it was a little not not very clear. To me, it was very obvious that there was a tumor, but it was very curious to me. Uh, I thought the film was not all that good, so I decided to do a second MRI. But at the time that I saw her, I noticed her IGF-1 level was elevated. She didn't really appear to be acromegalic, but her growth hormone level was inappropriately normal with a high IGF-1. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, is this tumor causing Cushing's or is this tumor causing acromegaly? So I got another MRI and I saw two tumors, two separate distinct tumors, one in the central part of the pituitary gland and the other on the right side of the gland. I did a glucose suppression test and proved that this patient can't suppress growth hormone in response to glucose, and I confirmed her diagnosis of hypercortisolism due to ACTH production. So to me, it seems clear that she has two pituitary adenomas. One of them is probably producing ACTH, causing Cushing's. The other is producing growth hormone, causing acromegaly, acromegaly, or certainly an elevated IGF-1 when you think about it. When I look at her, she might actually look a little bit acromegalic as well. So uh, I think that both diagnoses are correct. So a bit of history. I first saw a patient who had two separate tumors causing acromegaly and Cushing's during my fellowship at Hopkins in around 1991 or so, maybe 1990. We actually reported uh, in the literature that particular patient who had a growth hormone-secreting macroadenoma and an ACTH-secreting microadenoma. There are, however, a couple of scenarios that can uh, present with Cushing's and acromegaly. And it behooves me to think about my recent patient as to whether this is really two separate tumors or some other disease process. For example, it wouldn't be unusual if you have a neuroendocrine tumor to have a neuroendocrine tumor somewhere else. Pituitary tumors are neuroendocrine tumors. So this patient might have acromegaly due to a pituitary adenoma, but have a neuroendocrine tumor elsewhere causing the syndrome of ACTH hypersecretion. Furthermore, neuroendocrine tumors have been reported to secrete growth hormone-releasing hormone to cause acromegaly, so she might have pituitary cushings in a tumor somewhere else that's uh, actually secreting uh, growth hormone-releasing hormone, driving the production of growth hormone by the normal pituitary gland, and then also causing uh, the IGF-1 elevation. So while I think my patient may have two pituitary adenomas, I can't yet exclude until I have histology from surgery confirming that. She actually has two separate tumors causing acromegaly and Cushing's. There are a couple other potential scenarios. Uh, Given that there are neuroendocrine tumors elsewhere, one uh, could could have acromegaly and then the tumor in the adrenal gland, a pheochromosotoma in the pancreas, uh, in the lung, anywhere else producing the ectopic ACTH hypersecretion. Another potential scenario is that of mccune albright syndrome, uh, which is another heritable disorder. Uh, some patients have new mutations, and it can cause to, uh, really pituitary hyperplasia or a, quote, tumor, unquote, but the gland is usually hyperplastic. That causes acromegaly, and some of these patients get adrenal hyperplasia that causes Cushing's. Uh, so that's another uh, possibility here uh, when you see a combination of both acromegaly and Cushing's. So all that's very interesting uh, to me, and uh, I um, actually like the challenge of figuring out precisely what's going on. I think that uh, uh, I've done enough, and it's up to my surgeon, Dr. Sandeep Kunwar, to tell me what, uh, what we have. Actually, it's up to one of our pathologists to tell us precisely what we have, but it's up to Dr. Kunwar to try to remove both of these tumors so we can get an accurate diagnosis, and hopefully we'll render the patient free of two separate diseases that they seem to have at the same time. Other recent patients is we had one patient who had two separate pituitary adenomas that both of them were gonadotroph adenomas and I was able to undergo successful surgery to resect those. There was no bridge between the tumors. It was definitely one on the right, one on the left. Uh, That was the first time I'd actually seen that where you had two gonadotroph adenomas. I have seen the combination of a gonadotroph adenoma and a prolactin-secreting tumor. I've also seen the combination of a prolactin-secreting tumor and uh, Cushing's and an ACTH-secreting tumor. Uh, And of course, all the time we see people who have a Rathke's cleft cyst or a parsintermediate cyst that's found at the time of surgery. So they have a primary tumor of the pituitary gland and then a Rathke's cleft cyst or parsintermediate cyst. That's not uncommon with uh, between two to 10% of patients having a cystic lesion of the pituitary gland Probably around 2%, but one study says that as many as 10% can have a pars intermedia cyst. So the the uh, hook there is that the, the surgeon needs to know what they're looking for when they go in, say, to operate on acromegaly or Cushing's. I, I've seen a couple of instances where they operate, they see a lesion, they remove it, it's a pars intermedia or a Rathke's cyst, they thought maybe it was a cystic tumor, they come out of surgery, the patient still has Cushing's, for example and has to have a second operation with an exploration to find the actual tumor. Uh, So that's another uh, potential scenario there that uh, both doctors and patients need to be aware of. Now, whenever I do see patients who have two pituitary tumors, I start thinking about some of those syndromes that I mentioned before, multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1, neurofibromatosis, um, uh, and so on. AIP mutations uh, ask about a family history, whether anyone in the family had a pituitary tumor or a brain tumor, uh, whether they've had any other tumors that can be part of MEN1, uh, and certainly I look at their skin and ask about anybody in the family with neurofibromatosis. Uh, and that's all for uh, identification of other potential problems that people have in association with their pituitary adenomas. Uh, because many people say with MEN1 we'll have tumors elsewhere that also need to be treated. So these are very interesting situations. Um, I'll, I'll conclude by just one more comment about pituitary cancers because I know that everyone who has a pituitary tumor wonders at first whether it's benign. The first thing is that the pathologist cannot tell you whether it's benign. And unfortunately, the way we sort of Uh, have had to interface with uh, the World Health Organization and other bodies that sort of evaluate tumors and classify them. I can't tell you whether it's benign or not by looking at the MRI scan. I do believe that people who have tumors that cross tissue planes and are locally invasive have more aggressive disease and disease that may one day prove to be malignant. But the diagnosis of pituitary malignancy Malignancy rests on the recognition of the fact that the tumor has not only spread beyond the confines of the pituitary, but has, what has basically spread that is discontinuous, meaning it's spread to another part of the brain or the nasal cavity, or it's uh, spread to lymph nodes in the neck or bone or liver or some other body tissue. And unfortunately, with pituitary cancers, if you look at those diagnosed at autopsy, many patients didn't know they had cancer. If you look at those uh, diagnosed during life, many patients had a history of an aggressive pituitary lesion that was thought to be benign, and it required multiple courses of radiotherapy or multiple surgeries, and then ultimately, they will present with evidence of distant metastatic disease. Uh, so many, many times we don't know, and it's just another reason that people with pituitary adenomas probably should be followed very carefully for life by a qualified pituitary physician or team, or maybe a nurse practitioner who works for that team just to see uh, whether or not they A, have a recurrence, and B, have any progression of any residual disease. Those who have been disease-free could be followed by a physician extender such as a physician's assistant or a nurse practitioner, uh, or by their primary team with communication going forward to the, to the pituitary team. Uh, But those who have residual disease probably need to be followed by a pituitary uh, endocrinologist just to keep tabs on what's going on with them. Uh, Another reason for lifelong follow-up is even in patients with benign disease who have hormone functioning tumors and are rendered disease-free. You can present many years after the original diagnosis. I have one patient with Cushing's who presented 28 years after her initial uh, successful surgery. So you... Almost cannot stop following patients with pituitary disease. Unfortunately, a lot of patients feel I've been cured. This is great. I don't want to go see the doctor any longer. They come back to us five to eight years later with, uh, uh, with a consult saying they had surgery elsewhere and they came back and now they want to see us because the other team wasn't following. So I encourage people to work with their, uh, their healthcare team and just make sure that you get the appropriate follow-up. The very last thing I'll say is that I intend to do a video uh, illustrating the MRI findings of my patient that had two separate uh, pituitary adenomas so that you can see that. Uh, so we'll think of that as accompanying this podcast. So check, them, check it out. And uh, as usual, feel free to uh, send us any questions or concerns that you may have. We try our best to get, get in touch Uh, with everybody who writes this, but you have to understand I'm extremely busy with over 2,000 patient visits a a year, and Jorge um, is also extremely busy as well. So we do the best we can, but it's only two of us, and uh, we're delighted to be uh, involved and to help and to provide advice, but especially to bring information to you that you can use to hopefully better understand your uh, underlying medical condition and any treatments you might be receiving. Uh, and with that said, I'll sign off. Once again, Dr. Lewis Blevins, podcasting from Northern California. Have a great uh, rest of your day.
0: Thank you for joining us. You have been listening to Live Talk, an exclusive production from Pituitary World News. Pituitary World News is a nonprofit organization supported by a variety of organizations, foundations, and from people like you. We encourage you to participate by joining us to spread the word about pituitary disease. And if you'd like to donate, please go to pituitaryworldnews.org and click on the Donate button. Thank you, and thank you for listening.